Welcome to Edgemont Bible Church in Fairview Heights, Illinois, where our mission is to glorify God by guiding people into a discipleship relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to today's message by our pastor, Douglas A. White. Go to the book of Revelation, chapter 10, verses 8 to 11. Revelation, chapter 10, verses 8 to 11. Here, John, the apostle, has been seeing some things that no human being has ever seen before. There are things going on there that are just amazing. And he's uh, just heard some things. He's been told to write down everything that's going on. And he's just heard some things from the voices of thunder. And he starts to write that down, and the Lord says, do not write that down. The people on earth cannot hear that one. That's just a heavenly thing. But then he turns to him, and with verse 8, he says this, Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go, take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel, who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel, and I said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, Take it and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but it will be sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand, and I ate it. And it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter, and he said to me, You must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. I've called this message today bittersweet. And I've called it that because it has the, the, the gospel... And oftentimes the word of the Lord is bittersweet. It has some very sweet part to it. But there's a part of it that's bitter. And what I want to do this morning is look at those two things together. The bittersweetness of John the gospel, John's, um, John the Baptist's message, the bittersweetness of the gospel, and the bittersweetness of all that we're living as we try to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. All right. But let's stand together as we read. We're going to be reading from Mark. I'm sorry, Matthew uh, chapter 3, verses 7 to 12. So if you'd stand with me, please. Matthew 3, 7 to 12. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. This winnowing fan is in his hand. And he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn but he will burn up the chaff with the unquenchable fire. All right, God bless you. You can be seated one more time. Then maybe we can stand and do some jumping jacks. All right, all right. Let's look to the Lord. Father, thank you so much for the gift of fellowship, the gift of community, the gift of bringing us all together. Thank you for the word of God. We ask just now in this precious word of God that you'll open our hearts to it. You've told us that we could pray that our hearts would be open. We know that this stuff we're looking at is information and uh, words, but we know also that you said it can't be understood apart from the Holy Spirit. So we ask in the name of Jesus that you would open our hearts. Please grant to us a good understanding that we make good application of what we learn and we live our lives pleasing to you. Thank you for what you're going to do there. Father, we lift up 
um, the brothers and sisters you've given us the opportunity to pray for today. We lift up Versi and ask in Jesus' name, you'll minister great grace and healing and strength to her and restore her to good health, Father. And to that end, I'm going to thank you and praise you. I do pray, Father, that you will minister to each of our brothers and sisters who are going through some real struggles right now. Some are going through financial struggles. Some are going through uh, relational troubles. Some are going through spiritual battles, Father, when they just can't see their way clear to understand how to follow you. So please clear their vision that can follow you and give them the uh, will and the courage to follow you where you're going. And I'm going to thank you for what you're going to do for them. We pray for Steve, Stephanie. We pray for the Portugals. We, we lift up our brothers and sisters all around the world who are ministering the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in many areas of the world, like Yajak and Ranjan. Father, thank you for them. We ask you to minister to each of their uh, lives that may be preaching the gospel in truth, and I want to thank you for what you do. Grant them much fruit for their labors. I thank you for the way in which you're going to open our hearts uh, and give us good understanding together. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to Matthew 3. Yes, I know that we are going through the uh, book of Mark, and I told you that as we're going through the book of Mark, I am going to be dealing with how to grasp the gospel. So we're going to be looking at all the other Gospels as well. Mark is short and quick, and we're going to be looking at that one definitely. But we're going to look at the other Gospels as well to find out what's going on. There was a lot of the message that was given by uh, John that's not recorded in Mark. Or that was given, yeah, to give, it was not recorded in Mark by John the Baptist. So we're going to be looking at one of those today that's found in Matthew chapter 3. Some things I want you to see there that John was saying to the people who were coming to him. And I want you to see how that gospel is bittersweet. All right. Just as that little book that John tasted and took into his mouth was good and sweet and then turned bitter in his stomach, so is the, the gospel itself. Because the gospel that tells you you can have everlasting life says that to refuse the gospel is to have the condemnation of God. Same gospel. Same gospel. It's got a bitter part to it. It's got a sweet part. So if you would, I want you to listen to John as he begins to tell people about the bitter sweetness of the gospel there. First of all, John's message to people who think they're all right. You know, there's a lot of people who think they're all right. The Pharisees were a group of people who thought they were all right. The Sadducees were a group of people who thought they were all right. They were the ones teaching everybody else. And obviously, your teacher knows more than you do, so you, he must be the right one. And if you still got to learn from him, then you must be the wrong one. And they were seeing that all the wrong ones were going to see John. Curious to know what John was doing, they followed, and they went out to where John was. And when they got there, John had some scathing words to say to them. Listen here, these, these, these were people who were happy with their discussion groups, but missing the point. They would get together to have great talk, and they'd talk about the Bible. They would talk about, well, how should we apply this, and how should we do this? Matter of fact, they were coming to the point, they were, they were making um, study Bibles that were bigger than anything that anyone had ever seen. It had the text in a little portion right in the center of it, and then all around the columns were all the footnotes they were taking. These were the things they were teaching. These things came to be known as the traditions of the elders. This is what told them that you can only take 39 steps on a Sabbath day's journey. This is the one that tell them how often you have to wash your hands. And the fact you have to pour the water, you can't dip your hand in the water because you dip your hand in the water, you're getting the dirty water on you, so you've got to pour it so that you can pour the water out someplace. They were taking the good word that God had given to them and redefining it so much, and they were having a great time with it. They thought, man, we are, we're having these great discussions here. Everybody wants to come to just watch us have our discussions because they know that we're way beyond where they are. Great uh, rabbis came from that group. Rabbi Hillel, Rabbi Gamaliel, 
great rabbis, great teachers, and people came to just really appreciate and honor them very much. And the Pharisees were learning to appreciate it. Same thing with the Sadducees. They were the ones in charge of the temple. But they had become so political, they corrupted the temple. Now the people couldn't go to the temple and feel good about it because the Sadducees had corrupted it so much. That's the group that comes out to see John. And in Matthew chapter 3, verse 7, he says this, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Now, I want to stop right here and just remind you, they were not taking the message of judgment seriously. They're the learned ones. If anybody knows about judgment, it's going to be them, right? They're the ones who have degrees. They're the ones who have all the judgment. And here's this ragtag guy out in the wilderness dressed in camel hair. How luxurious is that? Well, maybe you like camel hair coats now or whatever. But anyway, um, they're looking at this and they're seeing a guy who's got nothing going for him. So they're going out to see how can we put him down? What can we say to this man to discourage him? What can we say to this man in front of all the people that would help them know you are just silly? What are you doing this for? Who do you think you are? What's your credentials? Where are you from? Where'd you go to school? Who was your rabbi? Who taught you? You're living out here in the wilderness. Look at you. Why would anybody want to come to you? That's what their goal was. And John turns to them and calls them a brood of vipers. Further, these were people who were friends with all the political structure and the powers, but they were not friends with God. Well, they found a way to get influence. They found a way to be in good positions in the, the city of Jerusalem. They found a good way to have good positions with everybody. But they weren't friends with God anymore. Matter of fact, the Son of God is going to come into their midst, and they can't even recognize him. And when he tells them what he is, they don't want anything to do with him. They say he's got a demon. These are people who desire to be admired by the people, but they'd lost all the esteem with God. Oh, they may have looked good in the eyes of all the people around, but they didn't have any esteem with God. And John's going to call them a brood of vipers, a snakes. You guys are just snakes. You're the kind that hurts all the people. You're the kind that was loose in the camp that we had when we came across the Red Sea. You're the ones who bit all the people there, and people died from it. That's who you are. You're related to the guy who did all that stuff in the garden itself. That's who you are, you brood of vipers. And he goes on to say, who warned you of the wrath to come? Now, I want you to get the picture here. John's message had been, the kingdom of God is at hand. And people were flocking to him because if the kingdom of God is at hand and Messiah is almost here, good times are about to happen. Can you hear the sweetness in that message? But with that message is also the bitterness that is, there is a judgment which precedes that. So let's look and see some of the things that John said about that judgment. Number one, he warns of a wrath to come. Number two, he exposes that nothing in their lives that indicated they had repented. John's message was, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he's telling them, nothing you've ever done reveals that you've repented of anything. You haven't changed your mind of anything. You think you can come to God with your righteousness? You're not going to do anything. He's not impressed, you brood of vipers. He goes on then to say, as he says, nothing in your lives has ever shown anything. Look, as he says, um, therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. So if they had those fruits, they weren't showing them. And do not think to say of yourselves, um, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Number one, they thought of themselves as exceptional. They thought since we are the people of God, we're exceptional. God will watch over us when he's not watching over anyone else. Now, here's something I think is odd about that thought. They are in the restored land, yes, but they have been under Persian occupation, then Greek occupation, now Roman occupation. They're not free. They're not exceptional. Yes, they're alive still, but that's only by the grace of the Romans because the Romans were not afraid to take out any kind of people. 
they didn't like Jews, and they weren't afraid to kill as many Jews as they needed to. As long as they needed those people, they let them live. But when they didn't need them anymore, they're gone. So for them to think that they're in some sort of exceptional position was a wrong thought. They thought just because we're children of Abraham, God's going to be watching over us. Not so. All right, so he, he's exposed to that. But uh, I want you to keep your finger right here a minute. Go with me to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. Because Luke shares with us even more. Luke shares with us that once they had said that, once John had said that to the Pharisees and Sadducees, and pretty well left them speechless, they, they couldn't answer. They had nothing they could say to him about what, what had gone on, about what he had said to them. Let's pick up in verse 10 of Luke 3. Since after they had heard this thing that was said to the Pharisees, I mean, after all, the Pharisees and Sadducees are the teachers. They're the ones who are the leaders in all. And John just called those leaders a brood of vipers. So if the leaders are a brood of vipers, what are we? So now they're turning and they're saying this, verse 10. So the people ask him, saying, what shall we do then? He answered and said to them, he who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. He who has food, let him do likewise. So what's he doing? He's telling them, did I just go off? Sound like I'm not on anymore. All right. He is bringing them back to the law. The law said, love your neighbor as yourself. John is bringing them back to Micah 6 that said, The Lord has shown you, O man, what is good and what he expects of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So here, these teachers who are breaking all the law down into tiny little steps about how many steps you can take, how big a fire you can make, whether you can make a fire or not, how you have to tie your shoes, how you have to wash your hands, how you have to do, getting it down to little tiny details. By the details, they had overlooked the big stuff. They had forgot about justice. They had forgot about mercy. They had forgot about walking humbly with their God. So all the people there say, well, what do we do? And he's telling them how to walk humbly with your God. So if you got two coats, give one um, to somebody who has none. He who has food, let him do likewise. Listen, that's just right back to Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58, the Lord said, what is the fast that I desire? It's not, it's not that you just go around looking bad all day, that you don't eat food. That's not what I'm looking for. I'm saying if you are not going to eat food, give it to somebody else. Give it to the poor guy. Dress up the guy who's not got any clothes. That's what I want from you. I want mercy. I want justice. I want kindness, Sean. I want you to walk humbly before me. So that's what John's bringing it back to. Why is that so important? Because Malachi had already said that when this forerunner comes, he will turn the hearts of the fathers and the children back to the law. So here's John telling Here's how the law works out. Do these things. But that's, that's not as far as he went. Look, he went to the tax collectors also came to be baptized. He said to them, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than what is appointed for you. He's just telling them be just. There was, there was nothing wrong with the tax collectors collecting taxes. That's what they were given a job to do. But the tax collectors were making their money because they were charging people more than the taxes. Yes, the government requires an 11% from you, and the temple tax is another 6%, and the tax to live in this city is another 4%, so add 10% what you have to it, and they were keeping the 10%. They'd give back what money was rightly the government's, but they're keeping that which is over the top, and they got rich from it. That made the Jewish people hate them even more. Everybody follow that? So what's John say? He do the just thing, man. Don't charge more tax. If you're going to be a tax collector, do only what the job says to do. Don't take more than that. Go on further. <clears throat> Likewise, verse 14 says, the soldiers ask him, in, uh, saying, what shall we do? So he said to them, do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. The soldiers knew that they could easily just go up to people and say, 
carry my backpack for a while. And people had to carry it. They could say, I need $5, give me $5. And the people have to give it. He was saying to them, you be a good soldier. Don't charge extra. Don't demand that you have to live in their house. Don't demand that they have to do anything for you. Be content with your own wages. I know you can get more from stealing from people. Don't do it. All he's doing is calling for them to be just, merciful, and walking humbly with the Lord, or loving your neighbor as yourself. That's all John was doing, and that was turning the people back to the law, back to the the good teachings of Moses. Well, John's message is bittersweet. It is sweet is the good news that the kingdom is at hand. The bitter is that a burning judgment precedes it. So he warned them about the wrath to come. He exposes that nothing in their lives had indicated they had repented. He tells them that the acts of God are, is, was already cutting at the roots of the tree of their lives. Let's look back in chapter 3 of Matthew. <clears throat> and let's pick up then at verse 10. He says, Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You know, John and Jesus both used those illustrations, did they not? John is going to use this illustration about the axe being laid to a tree and cutting down it because it's not bearing good fruit. Jesus was saying before, there are people who uh, you judge a fruit by its trees. Or a tree by its fruits. Yeah, I'm right. Oh, here's a nice apple tree. Looks like a little He was saying, judge every tree by its fruit. If there's bad fruit, it's a bad tree. Simple as that. And he's going to tell them to, when it comes to uh, Jesus himself, he's going to say, I am the vine, you are the branches. Every branch that abides in me bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So they're going to use illustrations that people can see and know and understand. And John's talking to them about the fruits that are in their lives. John's saying that the Lord has looked over the tree of the nation of Israel. He's looked over its leadership, and he's going through the leadership, and he's putting the axe to the roots of that leadership. He's cutting that leadership down. You're going to be out of the way. Can I tell you, 40 years after this, there will not be a temple anymore. Guess what? There, another thing there won't be. Any more Sadducees. Because the Sadducees were the temple priests. And the axe was put to the tree. It's gone. Pretty soon the Pharisees wouldn't be in power like they had been before. Oh, yeah, they're ultimately going to wind up at the synagogues. But the synagogues are going to be located all over the world. Why? Because the axe was laid to the tree right to the roots of the tree, and the whole nation was cut down. The whole nation was scattered all over. So John was simply telling you, the scattering is coming. If you're not going to listen to the word of God, the axe is laid to the root of the trees, the tree is coming down, there won't be anything left. This nation is destined to be destroyed. Let's go on further. Number four, he is separating the grain from the chaff, and the destiny of the chaff is unquenchable fire. Look, if you would please, at verse 12 of chapter 3. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. One day I was, I was traveling with uh, Yajak in India, and we were back in the country, and uh, it, was, it was rice harvesting time. I'd never seen that done before, so I, I know anything about rice harvesting. And as we were going to different places, you could see people that were taking uh, like, a, like a blanket, and they had some pile of stuff in it, and they were throwing this blanket up in the air like this, and whatever was in that pile was going up in the air. I said, what are they doing? He said, oh, they're taking the husk off of the rice. And so they were throwing this up in the air, and as the rice would go up there and crush against each other, this chaff would blow out and it would blow over. Jesus has a winnowing fan, and he's blowing on the wheat that has been harvested. And as he's blowing that fan on that wheat, the chaff is separating out. The grain is going to stay there, but the chaff is separating out. He's going to gather up all that chaff then and burn it because it has absolutely no use. You can't do anything with chaff. 
It's just rough old fiber that you can't chew, you can't do anything with it, so it's only fit for the burning. He is saying that these guys who think they are so smart, who think they are all right, are nothing but chaff on the good stuff. He's separating now the chaff away from the good grain. The people who are actually believers were separate, being separated out from the people who were not. It all looks like they were one and the same. When you see them just first picked, it all looks like it's all one thing. But that husk has got to come off that rice before you can eat the rice. So that's what he was getting ready to do with them. That's what he's saying is happening. And unquenchable fire is what waits that. Going on further, number five, Messiah is coming, indeed is here, who will baptize with the Holy Spirit as promised by the new covenant and the prophet Joel, Matthew 3, 11. Uh, so looking at verse 11 there, he says this, Indeed, I baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. And I realize some of your Bibles may not say the fire, may not have the and fire. Uh, that's because in some manuscripts it's not found. But at least in, in many it's already found, so the New King James included in it. I don't know what other versions we have out there, but it's included in. This is a reminder of what's going to take place, that the Holy Spirit, according to the prophet Joel, according to Ezekiel as it relates to the New Covenant, According to Jeremiah, as it relates to the new covenant, there is coming a day which God is going to put his spirit into people. That's going to be different. He's taking out their old heart, and he's putting a new heart in them. He's taking out the old spirit, and he's putting a new spirit, his own spirit in them. And he's saying this Messiah that's coming, who is here now, I haven't seen him yet, but I know he's here now. He is coming to baptize you with that Holy Spirit, and you will have that Holy Spirit with you for all the rest of your lives in here and eternity. So he's saying that he's coming. Therefore, they must prepare the way of the Lord, repent, for his kingdom is coming now. That's the sweetness. There is that bitter that's in it, that if you are going to reject it, unquenchable fire waits you. It's only because you've, you've given your life over to something other than Almighty God. You thought you were all right. You're not all right. You're never going to be all right unless you turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Let me go on a step further. John's message was only partly fulfilled. Did Messiah come? Yes, as we're going to see next week, Messiah is baptized by John. Yes, Messiah is, did come, and he's here. Did Messiah baptize with the Holy Spirit? Yes, on Pentecost, he baptized with the Holy Spirit. Did the kingdom come? No. No, it did not. So let's go look at page two, and let's see if we can discover why that's what took place. Page two. John's message today, Elijah will still come. I'd like you to turn your Bibles while you're still in the book of Matthew to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, just a few pages over. And we'll pick up on verse 7. John at this point has been arrested. The people have turned. They didn't, uh, they didn't trust John's message. Herod's had him arrested. Herod's ultimately going to kill him, going to take his life. So John's life is, is, in essence, over right now. In verse 7, they're asking Jesus about John. And as they departed, verse 7 says, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out of the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? When you went out to the wilderness and you got baptized, what did you think you were going to see out there? A great king? Do you think you're going to see somebody big and important? You went out, what'd you find? A man dressed in camel hair and eating locusts and honey. Yet he had a powerful message. All right? Let me go on further with you. But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, more than a prophet... 
For this is he of whom it was written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Now watch what he says. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violence take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear it. Now, what Jesus just said was that John the Baptist would be Elijah. Remember, Elijah is going to come before the coming of Messiah. And he said he would have been Messiah if you had received it. But you didn't receive it, so that means Elijah is still to come. Guys, that's why we still look forward to the coming of Elijah. We still look forward to the coming of Messiah. Our Messiah did come once, but our Messiah is coming again. Because they rejected Messiah, because they rejected John the Baptist, there's yet another Elijah to come, and there's another coming of the Messiah. Everybody follow me? So that's still yet to go. John's message didn't get fulfilled because the people rejected their Messiah. When the people rejected his message and they rejected the Messiah, John's ministry ended. He was faithful to God. God gives him great credit for what he did. Matter of fact, Jesus says there's none greater among people than John the Baptist. He did what he was supposed to do, but you rejected that. So he has to come again now, and Elijah has to come again, with Messiah coming again, and him you will and must receive. Everybody with that? All right, let's go on further. So if you're looking for John's message for today, John would be saying the same thing today. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Turn your ways away from seeking anything but him. Don't be distracted. The kingdom of God is coming. He's showing you all around you that the kingdom of God is on its way. Let me go further. The axe was put to the national tree roots and cut off. But the nation would rise again. Look, here's a great thing. Jeremiah and Ezekiel had both said God's going to restore the nation. That's why they're still in exile. That's why the northern tribes are still in this diaspora all over. And they're both saying God is going to restore Israel to the nation. Imagine what they thought was going on when the Persians did restore them to the land. They're understanding that the, the, the gospel had been had already told us this. This good news had already been told. We're back in the land again. This is the fulfillment of prophecy. And it would have been if they had received Messiah. But not receiving Messiah, they kicked the can down the road, and Messiah is coming again. The nation will rise again. After, after the Lord Jesus was here, by, by 136 A.D., there is no Jewish nation. And there's not going to be again until 1948. Then in 1948, when all the people are starting to come back to the land, in 1948, when Israel becomes a nation again, now Ezekiel 20 has been fulfilled. God's brought his people back, but they're passing under judgment right now. Part of what's going on in Israel this day is the judgment he has for them to come to faith in Christ. That's the whole purpose of it, to come to faith in Christ. When they come to faith in Christ, Elijah will come, and Elijah will tell them who Jesus Christ is, and they will believe the Lord Jesus Christ. That's yet to come. Israel has been restored as a nation. Numbers, letter C. Peter understood at Pentecost that the promise of the Holy Spirit was happening then, but it was only partly fulfilled, and the nation was cut off. Turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, 14 to 21. Am I making sense? I'm having a great time up here, but I don't know if I'm making any sense to anybody else or not. Acts, Acts chapter 2, listen to what he had to say. 
Pick up on verses uh, 14 through 21. Here they're all speaking in languages that all the people that are gathered around there can understand. They're hearing the gospel in their own language. And this is an amazing thing. This is a reversal of the Tower of Babel. A great thing is taking place now. People are getting to hear in their own language the, the good news of Jesus Christ. But in verse 14, everybody's now saying, ah, oh, these guys are just drunk. That's what it is. Um, but Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what the, was spoken by the prophet Joel. So Peter's looking back and saying, I've read the prophets. And Joel said this, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And sun, the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm going to stop just a moment. Peter understands that this phenomena that's going on with them, them all being able to speak in all these different languages, was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He understood this is what the prophet Joel said. However, with their sons and daughters prophesying with all those things happening, just like he said it was going to, the sun did not darken. The moon was not turned to blood. And the great and terrible day of the Lord did not come. I'm sure they, they probably thought it had when the temple was destroyed. But that wasn't the end. So let me get the picture for you. Elijah's supposed to come. John comes. He's in the spirit of Elijah. He's that forerunner. Messiah comes. They reject both John and Messiah so it doesn't get fulfilled. Joel says the Holy Spirit's going to come. And the Holy Spirit did come. But the sun didn't change and the great day of the Lord didn't happen. So if you're following where we kid, all of that was moved to here. Now Elijah will come. Now Joel chapter 2 will be fulfilled. It's all ahead for us yet, kids. What am I saying? I'm saying there will be another day in which the Holy Spirit will be poured out on Jerusalem, on the, the people who live there. There is a day when the believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, will, I, mean, I should say the Jewish people will be converted to the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit will baptize them. It is the Lord Jesus that's bringing that. Everybody follow me? That's still to come. And with it comes the great and terrible day of the Lord. That, kids, is the tribulation. You follow where we're coming? That is the tribulation. That still has to come. Let me go further with you. <clears throat> this message of the coming of the Holy Spirit in power was also bittersweet, for the sweetness of the Holy Spirit would be followed by the bitterness of the great and terrible day of the Lord and culminating, culminating in Armageddon. The message of the giving of the Holy Spirit was sweet. And it's going to be sweet on that day when all of Israel regathered into, into Israel will be baptized by the Holy Spirit. They'll see Jesus for who he is. They'll trust the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a sweet day. But know that in that sweet day, the bitterness of the great and terrible day of the Lord is following it. We read that through Revelation. We went through what that was all about. There's great death. There's great sorrow. There's great pain that's going to take place. That's the bitter side of this great sweet truth of the Holy Spirit coming. That's the bitter side of the Lord Jesus Christ coming. You see where I'm coming from? That's why the message is bittersweet. It's got both of them with it. And just, just so we get some comfort this, brothers and sisters, 
I hope there's coming a revival of the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope that people in the body of Christ are revived again and there's a great movement of the Holy Spirit. I hope so. But I'm, I am watching the gospel well enough to know this. If that day comes, there will also come a bitter day with it in which the adversary will be fighting tooth and nail. We may be in the middle of that right now. Another step further. The next forerunner, Elijah, will have the same message to Israel and all who will hear. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Messiah is coming. What are they going to have to repent of? The Jewish people are going to have to repent of not believing Messiah for all those years. They'll have to repent and trust Christ. And the scriptures tell us they do. Hallelujah. It'll be the same message. It won't be a different message because they haven't received Messiah yet. And there are many people in the world who haven't received Messiah yet. So let's go a step further with it. Is what's happening in Israel now the beginning of this prophetic end? Here's what I'm going to say. That just depends on who gets involved. If it's only Hamas, no. No. Um, why don't you look with me? There is, um, uh, well, yeah, turn to Psalm 83. Turn to Psalm 83. Uh, as I shared in my Sunday school class this morning, Psalm 83 is a prayer. And it's a prayer of Asaph. Asaph was a songwriter in the courts of David and Solomon. And Asaph wrote a song that would not be, would not be correct for the day in which he was living. David had defeated his enemies. They were at peace. Solomon lived at peace. So they're not surrounded by enemies. But don't you look what Psalm 83 says. Do not keep silent, O God. Do not hold your peace, and do not be still, O God. For behold, your enemies make a tumult, and those who hate you have lifted up their head. They have taken crafty counsel against your people and consulted together against your sheltered ones. They have said, come and let us cut them off from being a nation. Look, this prayer could only happen if Israel was a nation. You you follow what I'm saying? This could not have happened in 1563. This could not have happened in 1099. This has to happen at a time in which Israel is a nation. Could it have happened uh, in in David's day? Yes, because Israel was a nation. Could it have happened in Solomon's day? Yes, they were still a nation. Could it have happened in some of the prophets' day? Not any longer, because they'd already been stopped as a nation. Could it have happened in Jesus' day? Yes, it could have, because they were a nation again under occupation, but still a nation. Then after that, they're not a nation anymore. It's not until 1948 they become a nation. So this prayer, written back here in time, is for this time. Because it's not been answered. Let me look a little further with you here. Psalm 83 goes on to say, verse 4, They have said, come and let us cut them off from being a nation, that the name of Israel may be remembered no more. Kids, I'm going to share with you, Hamas as a political institution, Hamas as a political government has at its number one platform the complete annihilation and destruction of Israel. And they are in alignment with Iran, who has the complete destruction of Israel in their mind. They are in alignment with Hezbollah, that's in the north, for the complete destruction of Israel. No more a nation. That is exactly what they're all after. And they are in a confederacy together to do that. Let me go further. For they have consulted together with one consent. They form a confederacy against you. The tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, Moab and the Hagrites, Gabal, Ammon, and Amalek, Philistia with the inhabitants of Tyre, Assyria who has joined with them, they have helped the children of Lot. 
All right, let's, let's get a picture of who we're talking about. Edom, that's to the south of Israel. That's uh, the land just between Saudi Arabia and Israel. That's Edom. The, the Ishmaelites, that's Saudi Arabia. Above that, Moab and Ammon are all along the Jordan River. That's the east bank of the Jordan River. That's Moab and Ammon, the children of Lot. Moab was the, the incestuous son, and Ammon was an incestuous son of his daughters. So that's the children of Lot. When you're looking at the Hagarites, that's the Egyptian group. So it's everybody that deals with the borders of Israel. It's going to Tyre. Tyre is in Lebanon. Assyria. Assyria is the northern part, or I should say Syria and Iraq. That's their combined. They're ones that have a border with Israel. Everybody with me? This is not Ezekiel 38 and 39. So if, if, if you're asking me, and you're not, but if you were asking me, is this a fulfillment of Ezekiel 38 and 39? No, it absolutely is not. Why? Israel is not dwelling safely, and Ezekiel 38 requires that they be in unwalled villages dwelling securely. This is not Ezekiel 38 and 39. But it may very well be uh, Psalm 83. Let me go on further. He says, deal with them as with Midian, as with Sisera, and Jabin at the brook Kishon, who perished at Endor, who became his refuge on the earth. Make their nobles like Oreb and like Zeb, yes, all their princes like Zeba and Zamuna, who said, let us take for ourselves the pastures of God for a possession. Oh, my God, make them like whirling dust, like the chaff before the wind, as the fire burns the wood, as the flame sets the mountains on fire. So pursue them with your tempest and frighten them with your storm. Fill their faces with shame. Luck what the goal is. Till they may seek your name, O Lord. It's, look, it's not looking for the physical destruction of them. It's looking for their conversion. It's looking for them to seek the Lord. Okay, go on further. Let them be confounded and dismayed forever. Yes, let them be put to shame and perish, that they may know that you, whose name alone is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. That is the conversion. So all those nations that are on the border of Israel right now, they're asking in this prayer, make them all like you did with Midian. You destroyed all their leadership. You got their leadership out of the way. Now that the leadership is out of the way, let them know that you are the one that's most high. Let them know that you are the one true God. Now, take your Bibles and turn them to Zephaniah. Yep, Zephaniah. Zephaniah chapter 2. Malachi is the last book. It's Malachi, then Zechariah, then Habakkuk, and Zephaniah. Zephaniah 2.1. Gather yourselves together. Yes, gather together, O undesirable nation, before the decree is issued or the day passes like chaff, before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger comes upon you. Seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth, who have upheld his justice. Seek righteousness, seek humility. You hear the message of John in that? That's the same message John the Baptist is having. It's going further. It may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. For Gaza shall be forgotten, and Ashkelon, or I'm sorry, forsaken, and Ashkelon desolate. They shall drive out Ashdod at noonday, and Ekron shall be uprooted. Woe to the inhabitants of the seacoast, the nation of the Carathites. The word of the Lord is against you, O Canaan, land of the Philistines. By the word, by the way, the word Palestine is the Latinized form that the Romans gave to Israel. It's the same word as Philistine. It's just the Latinized word Philistine turns to Palestine. You say, why did the Romans do that? They did it to make Israel feel even worse because they renamed Israel's land after their worst enemy. That's why it's called Palestine. And it remained that, all right, until now. The seacoast shall be pastures with shelters for shepherds and folds for flocks. 
The coast shall be for a remnant of the house of Judah. They shall feed their flocks there. In the houses of Ashkelon, they shall lie down at evening. For the Lord their God will intervene for them and return their captives. Wow. I don't know when this is for. But I do know this. That is a prophecy regarding the very place that the war is going on today. That is a prophecy that may be working with Psalm 83. I don't know that. But I certainly would say, I would like to say, whoever else joins in this battle will determine what prophecy this is. It may be nothing more than retaliatory. It may be nothing more than Hamas being destroyed. But we don't know that. And I sure don't want to say this is Psalm 83 because I don't know that. But I can say for sure it's sure not Ezekiel 38 and 39. All right? Fair enough? So what should we do? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Still the same message. And make application of every part of be merciful, love justice, and walk humbly with your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. Let us, brothers and sisters, love each other more than we ever did before. Let us encourage each other to get way past the trivia of everyday living, to the mundanity of everything that goes on, and let us turn to real affection for the the things above, not on things on earth. Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for the truth of the gospel. We ask in the name of Jesus that you'll open our hearts to the great truth and help us to be a people given over wholeheartedly and solidly to the gospel of Jesus Christ and its its dissemination all over the world, Father. Thank you for what you're going to do. I ask your blessing to rest upon all these people who have heard this, this message this day. In Christ's name and for his sake. We have much to look forward to, guys. A lot of great things are going on. Make this week a good week for you. Look for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look for what all goes on. Keep your eyes open. Keep praying. Keep trusting. Love each other more than you ever have before. In Christ's name. Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the beauty of the gospel, but thank you also for his bittersweetness. We know, Father, that because it's bittersweet, we're willing to accept the bitter and the sweet without even knowing what that means, because we know you. We know you're the one who is the author of the whole gospel, and you will do that which is pleasing in your sight. We thank you for what you're going to do. Dismiss us with your grace and peace just now. For Christ's sake, amen. We hope God has encouraged you with today's message by Pastor White. Thank you for joining us at the Edgemont Bible Church. We'd love to have you visit us if you're ever in the area. For directions, more information, or to support the ministry of Edgemont Bible Church, please go to our website at edgemontbiblechurch.org. That's edgemontbiblechurch, all one word, dot org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Edgemont Bible Church, where the Sunday morning message is broadcast live.